Hi, this is Jeanette Creamore, or you may know me as JC. Welcome to Laugh, Learn, Lead, a podcast show that helps project sponsors, project managers, and their teams shape their project success stories. I'll be sharing interviews that bring a different perspective to what project success looks and feels like, as well as unpacking our conversations to provide insights and practical tips. Stay tuned and enjoy. Hi, listeners. In today's episode, I'm with Greg Hill a technology leader who has held many IT-based roles across a wide range of industries, including finance, manufacturing, retail, and more recently, higher education. He's mostly worked for businesses that have adopted SAP as their core ERP solution. His working experience in the industry and his background in finance, Greg has often worked alongside business executives to help them deliver their strategies through the use of appropriate business applications and architecture. Recently, he started his own consulting firm, and he's working with companies to help them realize the benefits and the challenges that lie ahead transforming to cloud-based platforms. Greg can often be found presenting at user groups and conferences around the country, or delivering industry-based lectures to students, presenting the lessons he learned while working in businesses that were on the leading edge of cloud technologies. His passion about the human side of these expansive transformational programs, along with the ever-increasing challenging of improving overall user experience. Today, we talk about his attraction to A-typed jobs, a recent project and why it was successful, the challenges organizations are facing with ERP implementations, what he looks for in a program and project manager, and what excites him about the future. Hi, Greg, and thanks for all your time today. Thanks, Jeanette. Nice to be here. Yeah, I met you when I was at La Trobe Uni, and yes. um, but I actually don't know much about you pre-La Trobe. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about your career journey and where you are today? Yeah, sure, I can do that. Um, I started my journey uh, actually as a, an accountant of all roles. Um, I started being my, my career. So I was actually on the business side uh, a lot of the companies that I worked for uh, worked in um, a company called ICI, which we, we all know now as, as Orica, originally back in the day. And they had a uh, SAP implementation coming up towards the end of my career. And I started to be exposed to the ERP, world of ERP and became interested in computers and ERP and all things software. And so I started my journey towards a, an IT-related role, but obviously staying very close to the business. Uh, ever since then, most of the companies that I've been working for have been customers of SAP in one form or another. My general focus is on applications, uh, applications development, uh, implementation support, and running the various teams that support the apps of a business. And we're talking about some companies that have you know, a, a small smattering of apps apps up to some businesses like Latrobe having about 400 plus applications. So that's the space I'm playing in at the moment. So accountant, what, did what? Yes, when don't hold that against me, all right? <laughs> oh, not, not now, but so at school, were you interested in maths or what got you into accounting from school? No, that was that was the last thing on my mind when at school. Uh, I uh, it was just something that that uh, I fell into. Numbers just seemed to make sense to me. It was interesting because when I was a kid, I remember every every career that I wanted to get into started with the letter A. 
So originally I started out and I wanted to be an architect. Uh, I liked the drawing and everything like that. Then gave that up. And then a friend of mine, his dad was an air traffic controller. And I thought that would be fantastic, standing on top of the tower and watching all these planes going off. And then I dropped that. Uh, and then I turned to accountancy. So um, every, every, uh, every time I had think, thought of a career, it always started with, with the letter A. So I ended up with accounting. Uh, and then I jumped to the letter I and ended up in IT. Or A for applications. A for app. There you go. Hey. You win the prize for that one. Exactly. <laughs> so my question is, did astronaut ever jump up and go, here uh, I am? <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> no. Airline pilot, actually. I think there was one of those. I think I wanted to be – I love planes, by the way. That's uh, a little bit of a side thing. Uh, <laughs> so I, I quite like – I prefer seeing the planes, um, you know, and watching them and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, that's 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 sort of how, how I got into it. Um and I think that was more of an influence from uh, a family member of mine than anything else to get into accounting. But uh, I was definitely a, a, on the business side of a few companies before the you know, the boom of IT started off, and we started getting computers into the organisations. And I you know had a really interest in that. And then it was from then on, it was it was less about the hardware and it's more around the software. And so therefore, I've sort of um, you know fell into the application space. Uh, more, more, more focused on SAP than anything else. Yeah. So, um, when you fell into that space, were you mm. hands-on development, or you've always been that leadership role and in, um, you know, supporting a team of people to get things done? No, I actually started my SAP journey doing the what we call the configuration of the system. Uh, so configuration and business analyst. So I was a, a BA for quite a while in, in, a, in a few companies. So you're not doing the coding. Uh, I tried coding once and trust me, you, you don't want me to code your, your programs for you. That's the last thing you want me to do. Uh, I, I struggle enough trying to uh, get to use computers, let alone <laughs> writing on the code to actually get the computers to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, I fell into that space uh, quite easily. I, I found that by being a business person on one side and having a, a bit of a flair for the IT on the other side, I sort of put myself in the middle as the liaison between the IT and the business. Uh, so configuring SAP, uh, business analyst, project manager, moving up into management, IT manager, uh, and then finally, my last role was uh, as a director in ICT, working at Latrobe, which is where I met you. Yeah. Well, before we move on to where you're doing now, fun fact, um, mm-hmm. SAP 3.1H. That yes, was, done that. That was my first yep. ever version of experience of SAP in Queensland government. And um, I know about the configuration because when I was asked to come from the district to head office in Brisbane, to do the testing for the materials management module, the MM, MM module. Yep, MM, yep. Um, it only took me two hours to break it because <laughs> they, they hadn't thought about real-life configuration data like under and over supplies. They did two-way matching very well, but I said, we don't do two-way matching. We do under and over supplies. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But, yeah, so, oh, Interesting. Congratulations. I'm sure you're one of many people who have gone out and <laughs> tried to break the system very quickly. Yeah, apparently that was a record, two hours. But uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I not only rescue projects, I can break them as well. Um, so <laughs> well, give support people something to do, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So you've taken a real interesting 
um, step. You left La Trobe recently because mm. you're out on your own. So Greg, the consultant, Greg Hill, the problem solver, what are you doing now? Uh, pulling my hair out. <laughs> um, no, I, I, if I look back at my career, I'd been always on the, the customer side. Uh, I'd been at um, around six or seven companies, large companies that had used SAP, uh, been involved in a lot of projects, upgrades, um, implementations, uh, a lot of change in that area. Got to know a lot of people, uh, spent the last few years doing uh, some, some lecturing at La Trobe uh, and at some other institutions as well, uh, helping out with the user groups and starting to talk about my experiences uh, as well, sort of, you know, helping out with the community and, and, and user groups. And I just felt that, um, you know, I was, I was due for a bit of a change. I'd been at the university for around six and a half years. Uh, we did a lot in that time. Um, there was a lot of transformation that, that, that went on when I was there uh, at La Trobe and I just felt it was, it was time for a change. So after talking to a, a few mentors that I had and a, a few of my peers, I decided that uh, I would take the plunge and it was an idea that I started having late last year and it started to turn into reality early this year. Um, and at the end of March, I, I left La Trobe um, after around six and a half years, as I said, uh, on on very good terms, and now I'm out on my own, trying to build up my own consultancy business now. And so I know you are specialising in ERP, and we're going to ask mm. I'm going to ask you some more questions about that later on. So, of all your experiences in projects, I'm sure there's a highlight, and you know there there's some definitely some interesting ones. What's one that you think, yeah, that was a real success and why was it success for you? Yeah, I, a lot of people who have been in my presentations over the last few years will know that and especially those in the SAP industry will know that Latrobe was a little bit on the um, cutting edge of technology when it came to its uh, relationship with some of its vendors, um, especially with SAP. And the standout project uh, for me was what we um, when we first moved the entire finance system to uh, the cloud version of SAP. The reason that one stuck out in my mind was because we were the, their first customer in the world to do that. And when you are a first off customer to do something like that, um, not only is it challenging, but it can also be uh, rewarding at the same time to know that you've done something that no one else has done. Um, you put a lot of effort in, um, you work a lot of hours, a lot of weekends, um, you burn the team out, unfortunately, at times. But at the end of the day, once it's done, you literally can sort of look back and say, you know what, that was a that was a real good milestone in the career. Wow. Um, first time. First, that's definitely a greenfield experiment really being the first one um oh geez i'm not gonna (laughs) (laughs) we took one for the team that's for sure (laughs) absolutely um so it was success for latrobe look and i know for my time at latrobe and um i i think i kicked off the planning for the sap henna cloud migration for the bi and then handed it back to the sap um sadaka i think was the pm and um he completed the implementation. But why was it a successful to try? You know, that's a big risk-taking move for them 
um, to take that on. So why was it a success in the eyes of yourself and Latrobe to take on something for the first time? Back then, uh, I mean, planning for that started, uh, I would say, probably around 2013, 2014. Uh, I joined Latrobe in around 2012. And the, the thoughts of the management team and of university at that stage was that, um, you know, it was it was time to do something a bit different, try to get ahead of the game, uh, try to get, uh, obviously, the, the higher education uh, market is very competitive. Um, and so you will try to do what you can to try and get your name ahead of everybody else. And ICT in the trove at that time was going through uh, a huge change, quite a large change. Uh, it was the infancy of cloud. So I think cloud was, you know, as a marketing term, was only being used around, you know, 2013, 2014, maybe. I, I may be wrong, but it was, I think it was around that time that that word started to, to, to come into the, the language of, of people. And it was an opportunity that uh, presented itself to leapfrog other people in the SAP market. And of course, when you when you do that, then you you take the um, the, the name of the the business in, in this case, Latrobe University, along with that as well, and get the accolades for that as well. So it was the first of many big changes um, that that happened at Latrobe, and you know I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. Uh, of all that change and they were quite willing to at that time to sort of take the risk um, to reap the benefits of it um, and move forward and you know we've uh, partnered we had partnered with quite a few vendors after we did that one with SAP um, to move pretty much all their tier one software to some type of cloud offering um, which is a you know very ambitious for a university at that time. Yeah very much so wow so you are an ERP specialist, I know that, and so you spend a lot of time with organisations helping them from strategy through to delivery. What's some of the challenges that they're experiencing at the moment as they face their ERP implementations? I think the it, it's interesting um, working with some of my customers at the moment, but also getting up and talking on stage uh, and getting the feedback from people. I feel that there are some themes going around the market at the moment. Um, obviously, there's, um, you know, companies, some companies have been successful at moving their operations to cloud-based systems. Some haven't been so successful. But I think for the most part, um, I sort of gather that CIOs, um, CEOs, CFOs are sitting back trying to work what the business benefit is from going to these cloud-based platforms. You know, it's the old what's in it for me scenario. Um, and, you know, I think we need to park the technical side of these projects because most of these systems do what they're generally meant to do. Yeah, you've got to do a bit of, you know, maybe you might have to do a bit of configuration or customising around this, the side. But I don't think a lot of businesses are understanding the implications of how their business is going to be affected by these changes. And so they're going into it, you know, eyes wide open, we're going to do this. And they're, 
you know, sort of falling over from time to time. And that could be a range of a, a number of things. Maybe the, the planning's not quite right. Maybe it wasn't quite understood what they were going into. Um, and there's also what I sort of will start sort of talking about a lot in my future presentations is the human side of these implementations. So what's the effect on the staff? What's the effect on the people? Uh, roles change a lot when they go to cloud-based platforms. Um, are we focusing enough on the people who have been doing these jobs for the last 10 or 15 years and realising that they may feel that maybe their particular specialty is at an end and it's going to be done by a, a vendor and instead of themselves? So I think the – go back to you. I know that's a long-winded answer to a short question, but I think the, the, the short answer – to your question would be that I think that um, they're trying to work out what's in it for me, you know, wh why should I do this and what is my payback on this? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm finding the same thing too, that we're, we're being caught up in the expectation of others that we have to be digitally transformed and yet we've been transforming our businesses with technology since the 80s, since I've been involved anyway. And I think... Um, to agree with you, the planning in particular is, I think they're jumping from A to Z in one leap. Yeah, um, and they're get, feeling they're getting caught up in a couple of things that when we go through these significant migrations and um, we're asking a vendor to then take on some of the responsibilities, some of the exposed risk areas that we haven't been taken care of, in particular our data and our reskilling of our people. So, you know, data, data, data just becomes an amplified issue in an ERP migration from my experience um, mm. and you're totally on the ball with the, the people. Um, where have we invested in their reskilling? Where have we invested in what their influence is going to be in the future? And for me, I kind of say a story like we're moving low-value activities to somewhere else so we can actually use your expertise and knowledge of our business in higher value activity. So we're actually giving you time to do, you know, that more tactical stuff. And so, yeah, I'd be keen to hear more about your future presentations, the human side. Um, that'd be interesting. And, uh, yeah. It does resonate a lot with people um, because we, we, do, we do tend to focus on the technology a lot. What is it, you know, is the technology going to work? And that's important because the system has to work other the business, otherwise the business is going to fall over. However, we have to also remember that we've, like you said, we've invested 10, 15, maybe 20 years in some people. How are they going to see this transformation? How are they going to react to it? Um, not everyone is adaptable to change as other people are. Um, and so what are we doing to help those people over the line? And in my experiences, I've had some very good success uh, stories with some people who have adapted to that change quite well. But I've also heard of other organisations where sometimes the management has sort of, you know, maybe not proceeded because they've been a little bit concerned around how the uh, staff might take it. So, you know, it is, there is the technical side of it, but I think there is definitely the, the human side of these transformations that we need to focus on. And yeah, that's, that's going to be a bit of a strong theme for me over the next few years. And that's what I am trying to help businesses to understand is um, eyes wide open, 
let's have a look at everything. Um, there are definitely a lot of themes that come out of these implementations or these transformations that other companies can um, can learn from. And so that's why I thought now would be a you know a good time for me to maybe step out on my own. Um, and buy a lot of coffee for a lot of people and have a lot of meetings, as you know that you have to do when, you, when you're doing a startup, yeah. um, become your own Office 365 administrator and, and, and do everything yourself. And so that's, that's the, the whole premise is high-level advisory uh, as well as a, a bit of community work because I, I, will be, um, I will be undertaking some more lecturing and student mentoring at La Trobe and at Victoria University. Uh, and I've also been doing some lecturing at Chisholm Institute as well. I quite like uh, getting up and, and speaking to the students about the, the future of IT. So business and, and community is really the combination I'm going with. Sounds great. And I I know you'll be doing um, good work there. I think the students would be just hanging on every word that you say because I think keeping their eyes wide open that when, you know, when they do finish their term and they get their degrees that, the real world may not be as accurate as the textbook um, suggests. Yeah, yeah, and they they they're so attentive. I mean, I get some really good numbers at these at these presentations, but they hear a lot of the buzzwords. So they hear about RPA, and they hear about Internet of Things, and they they hear about blockchain, and they hear about cloud. But um, they're really understanding. Well, hang on. <laughs> How does that translate into a career? What should I be studying? What's yeah. my first job? Um, you know, that real sort of career guidance to, to get them in there. But, you know, I, I do find that fun. And at the end of the day, these are the ones that are going to be working in these systems in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I think it, we owe it to them to actually sort of say to them, okay, let's ease, ease you into it. Let's not just throw everything at you. Uh, otherwise, it would be just too damn confusing for them. Yeah, and, and I think that's a tip that some of the organisations can take from you too, Greg, is that in their own um, business, where they got their graduates, where do they have their own students, um, how are they helping their more experienced staff become a student again, you know, um, help, yeah, help them transform into a potentially a new world and also give opportunities for them to have a career change um, yeah, because I, I always start talking about the end, you know, the end in mind. What does it look, smell and feel like when yep. this transformation you know? Do we have 100 people standing up around a desk or do we have them, you know, on the beach with their laptops and they're working from anywhere, anytime or, you know, what's that? And I think organisations struggle with painting that blueprint and really being specific around that vision. I think they can say the words but they struggle at how to, then translate that into a real tangible moment. Um, yep. And so, yeah. Yeah, you, do, you definitely have to have more of a view to what the end game is going to be now rather than just sort of going into it. Um, but, you know, it's if you've done uh, properly, it can, it can be done uh, very, very well um, indeed. And I think that's, you know, um, by someone who has been fortunate enough to be in an organisation who was very proactive at, uh, at, at going for that change and, and moving to cloud-based operations, um, you know, I think it's, it's uh, a good time to actually educate others on what to do and what not to do as well uh, so that it is successful at the end. Agree. So I know um, 
to get the job done. You've had to recruit a fair few people over your um, career journey. Yes. <laughs> um, can you share with us what do you look for in a project or a project uh, program project manager type role to have confidence that they can get the job done for you? Because as a sponsor, you know, an executive in an organisation, you really can't be hands-on. You have to create the environment for them. But So who do you look for to say, mm, yeah, they're going to do it for me? Yeah, hiring is a, it, it's an interesting task when you're, um, when you're working in a large organisation. Um, you know, first off, you start off with the flood of resumes that you get from any, everyone who can help you uh, and then honing it down. And then obviously, you know, I always, I always believe that when you, when you meet someone for the first five, ten mi- mi- minutes, I think that's a good indication is that you have a bit of a gut feel as to whether you're going to take this further or not. Um, is is my personal take on things, and even myself, you know, I'll, I'll get caught up in the hiring. Hopefully, if my business starts to grow, I might be able to put some people on as well. But when it comes to project skills, which is what you wanted to focus on, um, and I, I wrote a little bit of a list to, to go by, and I kept on coming back to the same word time and time again about what do I see in uh, in a good hire, and that is communication. Um, and I think communication is definitely the key when it comes to a lot of these roles because they are not only engaging with you know, developers or business analysts um, or the people in their team, testers, but they're also communicating with the C-level uh, staff of, of organisations, with the CIOs, the C- CFOs, um, C- CEOs, CIOs and CFOs. There you go, I got that out. Um, and I think communication is an important part. And it's something that I felt that I've always had to be uh, on the top of my game at doing by being in their shoes uh, because, you know, when I was a business analyst or a project manager, you know, one minute I would be down on the shop floor talking to uh, manufacturing workers uh, and one minute and then the next minute I have to change and wash up and go up to the offices and be in the CEO's office. And so, therefore, you have to be quite adaptable um, and you have to be good at communicating. So, I, I, would, I would put communication as probably the uh, top skill and adaptable to the organisation that you're working within because even though we all follow similar hierarchies, you know, um, at the end of the day, every, every business is different. Um, I've been in higher ed, I've been in uh, retail, I've been in FMCG manufacturing you really need to be adaptable to be across those those industries. And I know a lot of PMs who do project management as a career will move from industry to industry all the time. And so you need to be adaptable, I think. Uh, I'd say they were my, my two top two uh, things that I look for in project managers. And, th- and that's hard to sell in a resume, isn't it? And it's... Yes. Yeah. And, and for me, I know I really would love to, you know, get... I find a way that we can actually shortlist our talent or our potential candidates easier, you know. Is it a video? Is it a video submission of how they perform? Because reading, I, I, I struggle with reading um, CVs and I'm like you. Within about five minutes of me having a conversation with someone over coffee or whatever, I know if they're going to be right mm. for the space that you're recruiting them for, that they might be awesome in one area but they're just not right for this role. They might be better for a different role. So I call it square peg, round hole. Um, and just because Johnny did a great 
project, you know, role last time, maybe he's not the right one this time because it's got different context or it's got different stakeholder groups. And I love the fact that you said adaptability because it is, it's, if you think you're a project manager that sits at a desk and just does risk and issue registers and status reports, you're probably not a project manager for the future. Um, no, no, <laughs> not at all. You're more a coordinator probably or someone like that. But I, I, I think that, um, yeah, there's been a lot of banter on LinkedIn, I noticed, of, of late uh, around, you know, video resumes and video interviews and everything like that. Um, I, I can see that sort of taking on because – at the end of the day, we're still humans and we still like that human interaction. We like to face each other and talk to each other, whether it's over a screen or whether it's in person. You can write till the cows come home on a resume everything you've done. Um, and, you know, very rarely have I come across a resume where someone's put a skill down and then they've lied about it because you can get found out pretty easily these days over technical stuff. Um, but when it comes to the human interaction, uh, senior right down to junior level engagement, that's something you can't put on a piece of paper. You can say you've done it, but you can't say how good you are by putting it on a piece of paper. Mm, I agree. And, you know, and that's why I kind of ask people like yourself that that is experienced, you know, what are you looking for? Because I'm working with some project managers now and I talk a lot about self-awareness and and that your self-awareness will really guide you to the right role. Like, mm. Don't, don't always assume the type of role that you're after is really the right one for you now because who you are now is going to be different than who you were yesterday. But um, it's also what legacy you want to leave behind because I think projects are a wonderful space for to you to leave your mark and whatever that mark is, what the organisation needs. And it might be, yeah, they're struggling definitely in communication, but they might be struggling in identifying their next level of talent. So you're going, okay, well, give me two people in the project that I can coach um, in, in my project manager role because I really – and I know um, I sat next to um, Danielle at La Trobe and, you know, she was just asking for coaching tips all the time. I want to learn. I want to be better. Um, and so you've got project managers out there that want to learn, but you, they need to be put in an environment where they – can make a mistake and not feel you know, bad, um, that, yeah, that they can get better at their communication and their adaptability is what you're, the two that you've called out. Yeah, let me pick up that point a little bit about, you know, being able to make a mistake and, and feeling bad and all that. Um, it, it's, you know, the, one of the things that I look for in, in a PM is that I don't want to go to a steering committee meeting and be surprised. I like to know what's about to happen. And I think too many times I've been to Steercoms uh, and I've been surprised at some of the words that have come out. And I think that the that the PMs need to, to, to lean on the executive team to make sure that there are no surprises and you, 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 you rock up to these Steercoms uh, with a view of what you want to get out of the steering committee members. Um, it's not just an update session. And if things go wrong, you've got to face it. You've got to admit that, yeah, this has not gone right. Now I need your help to do this. Uh, otherwise, we'll, we'll forever turn the, um, you know, the, the program manager uh, into a bit of a, a whipping tool, um, and that's not the way to do it. Um, and I think on the other hand, you know, as steering committee members, and I've been on many, many steering committees in multiple organisations, is you know, we need to support that PM Um not not use them as the catalyst to let out our grievances. Mm, totally. And, 
Yeah, I, I know that all my success stories have been because I've had a great relationship with my project sponsor, my my executive that's got my back, that has the um, the agenda, and we're clear. And yeah, um, and I think um, I talk about that in last week's unpack or something. I talked about the relationship project manager and project sponsor because I think it's just one re- role, you know, one relationship. The communication has to be so transparent and so clear that there are no surprises. I agree with you. Yeah, exactly. It's almost got to be a formality that you rock up. You know, everything's going okay. Here's the, are we in red, amber or green? If we're in red, what can we do for you? Um, If we're amber, okay, this is what we're doing to try and fix it. If we're green, well, everything's green. How do we stop it? How do we prevent it from not turning another colour, you know, how do we keep it green type thing. Yeah. Um, these are the type of things. But, uh, you know, going back to the, you know, the start of this discussion, and that's why I said, you know, communication and adaptability when it comes to project managers is quite important because one minute they may be running a project in a, you know, a factory-based environment or something like that, and the next thing that might be all, you know, C-level staff. So they've got to be very adaptable at what they do, especially mm. if you're in the, in the consultancy game of project management. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it'd be good to um, watch the space if, if the whole video or another way of identifying good communicators um, is different than the, the traditional CV. But I think um, also it's about referrals. I think that I know the work that I get on, no doubt the work you get, is because someone knows us. They, they've already seen us, uh, you know, on the platform or they've seen us, you know, washing the dishes or, um, <laughs> or, or pre- you know, or presenting, you know, they've seen that we have got that um, communication adaptability. So I think referrals will become um, a way of the future rather than the traditional um, applying for the role. I don't know. I just know that we have to do something different than what we're doing now. I, I am very good at doing the dishes and making cups of coffee <laughs> as well for anyone that's out there that wants my services. I know, an expensive cup of coffee, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you're a good listener as well, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) I try. Actually, Greg, I haven't asked people this before, so I might ask you if you don't mind. When I first met you at La Trobe, I don't know where it was, but I know that when I started there on the day, I was to be given a project, but they said to me, oh, we've got another project that we think you're better suited for. Can you pick it up? And I don't mm. know if you were in the room that day and it was the LMS um, migration to the cloud. Yeah, migration to cloud, yeah. I, I quite possibly was. Um, and and that's that's not an unusual thing that I've found in, in businesses. In fact, I, I've often been found guilty of doing it myself is that if we're running an organisation such as Latrobe or another company where there's multiple projects, it's not uncommon if you interview for a project manager, uh, they may not be quite uh, cutting it for that actual project that you were thinking of, but they may fit some other project that is going on or about to come on and you actually move them over and you say, well, actually, you interview very well, but we've actually got another project in mind. Um, so that wouldn't be the first time that I've been involved in in something like that. Uh, and again, it's because you, you meet somebody, 
you talk to them, you understand what they like and in the back of your mind you're thinking, hang on, I've got this project that's maybe a little bit out of control or it's coming up, you'd be really suited for this. And again, that's where it comes down to, the personality, the communication, the adaptability. Uh, these are all important personal traits rather than just a cookie, cookie cutter PM. Mm. Mm, th- thanks. I can't remember the exact moment that we met, but I'm sure you must have been in that room that day, my first day. That- I thought you were going to ask for a performance review just now or something. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the first performance review on a podcast. That could be interesting. We, we, could, we could try that. We could uh, test that one out. Um, so you've been ERPs, SAP, the human side of transformation. Mm-hmm. So what excites you about the future, Greg? There is so much technology change happening and there's organisations trying to adapt and say, well, what's working for me and what's not? What excites you about the future? Because there's so much out there. That's, that's a very broad, broad question and there's so many answers that are flicking around my head uh, at the moment um, and I get it, it, that is in, it's actually interesting because I've actually been asked that question a couple of times by, believe it or not, students um, when I've gone to lecturing, which is what do you see in the future? And obviously they're thinking of careers because they're trying to pick, you know, where am I going to place my career and everything. But then I got on, on, onto this bandwagon where I keep going on and saying, right, so what's exciting is that over the next you know, maybe five years or so, we're going to see a lot of companies um, move to cloud-based operations or, um, you know, uplifting a lot of their applications. There's a lot underway at the moment. We know a lot of the large companies are. And, of course, there'll be, you know, companies that will still stick with wanting to do stuff on-premise. But I think for the most part, uh, a lot of these cloud operations or cloud providers will hit their straps very well and they already are. Um, a lot of companies out there doing it. I think the exciting part for me is um, what do businesses then do once they've moved their operations? How do they then tackle some of the big problems that they haven't been able to tackle before because they haven't either had the, the horsepower, the, 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 the hardware or the, uh, you know, the, the investment, the funding in order to further expand their horizons. If you take a lot of the hosting companies that are out there like Amazon and Azure with with Microsoft, the amount of computing power you can get these days is phenomenal and you can turn it on and turn it off if you like. You can spin servers up, you can spin servers down. And I, I know that you could always do that in businesses, but you take it to the nth degree when you actually start talking about these companies because they've invested billions and billions of dollars in this hardware. So how can companies tap into that information and use those resources and then you start to add on other things like internet of things you know i was um i'm always seeing stories about companies who've always made a product you know let's i think i saw one recently around you know vacuum cleaners you know those uh, automated vacuum cleaners that go around Uh, the house yeah the kids are now standing on as a um uh like a the kids are standing on as a bit of a toy now to get a joyride around the lounge room. Well, I read somewhere, and I can't exactly where I can't credit this, but you know, they were talking about you know taking a lot of that information around what these vacuum cleaners are doing around the house and how efficient they are, and you know putting it into their cloud operations and doing analytics on it and cutting it and slicing it uh, to get 
better ideas for the future. There's a lot of information out there that we're getting now that we didn't have prior. How are companies going to take advantage of, of that? That's one of the things that really sort of excites me uh, a lot because items that we've always taken for granted, for example, our cars, our cleaners, our washing machines. I mean, you know, there's even fridges that you can remote control your TV off now uh, when you're in the kitchen. You know, if you want the kids to come for dinner, I've seen the ad on TV. I think it's Samsung. I'm, I'm not sure. But it, it's those types of things that I think are quite exciting, which is using a lot of the horsepower that's out there to make better decisions, to make better uh, products and services to the public, uh, how companies can actually take advantage of that. I mean, uh, even I think, you know, Tesla, you know, the, the car with their cars, mm-hmm. they can actually do uh, over the wire, you know, um, upgrades to their to their cars. I mean, you know, if you'd said that 20 years ago, you would have been thinking you were tripping out on drugs or something like that. Absolutely. Um, like, mm. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Now, it has its upsides and its, and its downsides, of course. You know, some people will like it, some people won't like it. But I think it's that type of – I think it, uh, it gives the platform to businesses to expand into areas that they've not pre- able to previously invest in before. And I think that's probably, you know, my, my answer to what's exciting me about the future. So I think we'll go through, you know, maybe another five years of transformation. But I think after that, companies will start to bet it down. Then what's next? That's that's. I think that's the exciting part. Yeah, the what next? Love that. Mm. Love that. Mm. Well, thank you so much for today, Greg. Um, I have missed our conversations, and um, yeah, I really, really appreciate your time. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about the human side of um, your um, lectures at the universities and some of your stage um, guest speaking. I know. I think you're heading um, heading to Sydney in August, are you? Yes. Yep. The SAP user group up in up in Sydney, late August. Yeah. Uh, I'll be there doing doing a few things, getting involved in that, which is always always a, a good time, good good networking session. And hopefully, yeah. the weather might be a little bit better than down here in Melbourne at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, going going from from what I saw on the football on the weekend, I think think it definitely will be. <laughs> Um, I'll share your contact details um, when I publish this. And so, yeah, people can follow you on LinkedIn, I think would be the best place to start with it. Yeah, LinkedIn is the the best place for me. Yeah, send you a message or something if they want to talk more ERP or um, the human side, I think, of ERP. Um, Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Janet. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a few ideas to take action. I would love for you to rate and review the show. I too need feedback to learn. Cheers for now. Remember, a day without laughter is a day wasted.